Well, I don't know about you, but I stayed up late into the night waiting for the result and what a result it was. Over 50% of the vote, uh, Conservatives swept aside by the Liberal Democrats and a well-oiled by-election machine taking the victory. Congratulations to Julian Spence from Waverley. Now, can somebody tell me how Richard Ford did? Welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. First of all, I'm just going to read through the result uh, just so that we've got that in the bank uh, and we can have a chat about that. So first of all, uh, Richard Ford, Liberal Democrat, 22,537 votes and 52.9% of the vote. Helen Helen Herford for the Conservatives at 38.5%. Labour got just 3.7% and the Greens on 2.5%. It was a turnout of 52% and a swing of nearly 30% to the Liberal Democrats. Uh, So I'll turn to uh, uh, first, well, First, I'm going to introduce who we've got to discuss that result. We've got uh, Mark Pack, we have Richard Kemp, and somewhere near Glastonbury, we have John Potter. Uh, first up, Mark, uh, how's that for your result for you? Pretty darn good. Um, I think my favourite statistic is that parts of Tifferton and Honiton have had Conservative MPs consistently all the way back to 1835. Uh, So if you think 1835 is before Germany existed, before the telephone was invented and before even Queen Victoria had ascended to the throne, I think technically that's known as a heck of a long time. Uh, But no more. But no more. So, yeah, absolutely fantastic result. And I think because we had all got rightly so excited and were working so hard about the possibility of winning, it's easy to lose sight of just what an absurdly amazing outcome that is you know it's a seat that voted brexit it's a seat that we were third in at the last election it's a seat that's you know got such strong tory roots but not anymore not anymore absolutely uh richard was that the result you were expecting uh, it, i thought we'd win uh, i was there quite early on doing delivering and canvassing it was clearly uh, going to be a very good night for us my personal prediction uh, which i was tell people about afterwards because sometimes I've been absolutely foolish but I thought we were going to win by 3,000 so we did better than I'd expected but as we went through the day uh, I tried to I was going to do some uh, telephone uh, telephone knock up knocking up yes that's right and it was quite clearly pointless because about three million the Dems were trying to get on and do them I think the prize was actually getting someone to ring who'd been rung less than three times it was quite clear from the things on Twitter that people have been out door knocking and our people were going out from 10 o'clock onwards. I don't know what we started, but perhaps the most interesting thing to me, I don't know whether other people saw it, was the picture. I think it was either Sky News or iNews, and they picked up an appeal from the chair of Mm. the local Conservative Party to turn up for a dawn raid at their headquarters at five o'clock. So whichever news media it was went uh, to their headquarters before coming to ours at five o'clock and it was locked. And I think that was the order of the day. Uh, The Tories didn't want to be out. Those people who were voting Tory didn't want to uh, admit it. Uh, So uh, I wasn't surprised during the day, but I was certainly, you know, my Tuesday prediction, as it were, would have been less than that. 
Uh, and John, uh, the reason why John is a, a blank screen uh, is that he's on the way driving back from Tiverton and Honiton. Uh, John, how was it going on the ground? How, how did that sort of pan out on that day? On the day, it was fantastic. I mean, I had actually had a little bit of a wobble, as people who know me well when I campaign usually, <laughs> usually do get. Um, on, on the Monday, I was finding a very stubborn Tory voter, so I think I put on the podcast WhatsApp group. I said, oh, I don't know if we're going to be a little bit short, and I think I predicted that maybe the Tories would just about keep it. But then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday were just brilliant sessions. And it was evident right the way through that the Labour vote had utterly collapsed. I, I, I think I found one Labour voter who was actually staying with them and, that, and he was a local member. Other than that, the switch, the squeeze, sorry, was complete, was complete, really. There was, there was no sign of But I did not think we would get the size of result that we did. Um, and I remember speaking to Mike Dixon, the chief exec, uh, at about 10 o'clock yesterday evening, just said, it is absolutely ridiculous, really, if you think about it, that the Lib Dems were anywhere near thinking about winning that seat, given all the things Mark said. But no, just tremendous work by everyone. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Reigns. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Prater Reigns have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their Lib Dem Foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Prater Reigns are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Prater Reigns website at praterreigns.co.uk slash liberal dash democrats. And given that, I'm going to come to Mark next with this one. Um, you know, we shouldn't have been anywhere near. Um, we've, we've run a very good campaign there. Um, can you give us a, a, an outline of what you think was the, the, the strength of this campaign? And, and I think it's in some ways slightly different to the, the two by-election wins that we've had. What were the differences this time? Yeah. Well, I think having won, it's, there's the, with the advantage of hindsight, it's easy to see now actually how similar in many ways Tiverton Honiton and North Shropshire are. And Paula Surridge on Twitter has posted a couple of really good graphs which show vote shares in each seat over the last few elections and also the demographics of each seat and they are remarkably similar um, but I think really it was down to two things as in North Shropshire and in Cheshire and Amersham excellent candidate and campaign but also the flip side being the opportunity of just a government that is doing things really badly a lot of public services are being let down really badly by what's happening in Westminster and in Whitehall. And therefore, there's a very widespread anger with the government. Um, and it particularly plays out, uh, played out, I think, this time with health services and you know, dumping sewage. But it's it, it's not just about party gate, although that amplifies it. And it's not just about one particular you know, headline policy. If only the government changes, everyone will be happy. Uh, but it's a more widespread unhappiness, which is great for us, gives us many more opportunities. But I think if I was a Conservative, I'd be much more worried because I think like after their last two by-election defeats, 
the problem is it's not one thing that they need to fix. I mean, Boris Johnson going would definitely be a big step forward for them. But it's more than that. It's, you know, it, it's lots of different things have added up to this overall unhappiness. And if you're, I mean, even if you're in the red wall, the Tory message might not appeal. But at least if you're in the red wall, there is a sense of the Tories have a message that they're trying to communicate for you in your area. If you're not in the red wall, what on earth is the Tory message? Do they want to cut taxes or raise taxes? Do they want to reduce bureaucracy and red tape or increase bureaucracy and red tape? You know, on all of those, they're basically doing both things simultaneously. So I think that was the opportunity. But great candidate, great agent and campaign manager in uh, Simon Drage as well, well as Richard as a candidate. And, you know, fantastic helpers. And then the occasional, you know, not so good helper like John, but generally fantastic helpers. <laughs> Thank you very much for that. Well, can, I, can, can, can I just add something to that where... It was really interesting. So the, the, there were loads of soft Tories around and there was clearly discontent with Boris on the vast majority of them. But also there was a kind of, like Mark said, there's a general kind of, they were unhappy with the Tories and some of them couldn't even articulate why they were unhappy. It was a general feeling of they're a bunch of incompetent idiots. And, and it didn't take much to actually get them to say, well, don't you need to then send them a message? And it says, yes, we will. Um, but like I said, it, it now just seems, it's almost like, I don't know how the Tories can possibly turn that around, especially as we're probably going into even harder economic circumstances, mm. and it's probably going to get even worse for them. Um, it, it was grim on all levels for the Tories. Yeah, I think the thing that impressed me most was that less than 24 hours after it was clear there was going to be a by-election, there appeared on Twitter a group of four people drafted in from Somerset with Lib Dems of the Challengers here. So you get the narrative in first and keep to it. But what it reminds me of, in a way, is our position after, let's say, about 2013-14. We had actually lots of good messages uh, that came out of what we achieved as the coalition government. In fact, I seem to remember that about 80% of our election pledges were introduced, and it didn't matter at all. The narrative was dead set against us. We could have done anything. We could have saved the entire country from destruction with a nuclear bomb by getting um, Nick Clegg out in the Superman outfit. Wouldn't have made this. Yeah, sorry. That's a horrible thought. Perhaps I'll think of a new one. Uh, But it wouldn't have made any difference. We had the narrative against us. It lasted probably from 2011, t- uh, 2011. It lasted till at least 2017, where at least it bottomed out and started ticking up. And I think the Tories are in the same place. They have uh, no hope now, They, no matter what they do to the economy. And it's interesting that Partygate, in some ways, isn't important. But in other ways, it's vital because it's a token that everyone mm. can get around. We can talk about 36 billion lost on track and trade, but what the hell is 36 billion? Someone getting pissed while the Queen was mourning her husband uh, is something that's right in the heart. So I don't think the Tories will recover anytime soon. And just to add to that, I think it's, Perhaps the most damaging element of party date is how Boris Johnson has responded to it, because it was striking how, you know, although Tiverton and Honiton was caused by a scandal involving an MP who therefore had to resign, 
people still had quite a lot of good things to say about the MP, in part because although it took him a little while to resign and then he had a wobble about whether he would stand after all in the by-election, but fundamentally he got caught doing something wrong, he admitted that he did it, and then he took the you know, responsibility by losing his job, his career in that. And I think that contrast with Boris Johnson is really striking. That had Boris Johnson really fronted up in the early days of saying, yes, things happened that shouldn't have, that he was genuinely sorry, that there he knows there are more stories to come out that will further. And, you know, if he'd really tried to get ahead of the story, I don't know, politically, I think it could have played an awful lot better for him. But it, it's really striking that Oliver, that, you know, that you've got a by-election caused by a scandal and quite a lot of people on the quiet seem to be saying yeah but that that MP wasn't so bad that contrast striking mm. now it's interesting a lot of the conversation here has been about sort of the the national uh, situation and certainly with the last two by-elections mm. as we started off the process of how the campaign was going to run it, there was a real kind of there's a process of engagement on the doorstep first of all and getting very specific local messages um, you know, in Cheshire and Amersham, a lot about HS2 and about development there. Um, in North Shropshire, a lot about ambulance waiting times. I, it does feel that there was a difference on, on that, that it was a, a broader and slightly more diffuse message, but still very effective. Uh, Mark, I don't know if you can give us any insight into how that process started out and what I, that was I different. guess if, if one of the messaging team was listening, they might be bridling a little bit at the, the use of the word diffuse because I think it was a very sharp and effective message but I think you're right it, there was a in some senses it was a broad target it wasn't about um, picking just one government policy and homing in just on that in the way that say our great 1991 by-election win in Ribble Valley was overwhelming about the poll tax it was more general than that but what was really targeted and really smart and massively effective was going for the messages that most worked with those soft Tories we needed to win over um, and it's something I keep on saying that you know we just need to recognize that those messages you know, we can win those people over with smaller liberal messages but it's also the case that most of the things that matter most to that group of people are not the same as the things that make the four of us you know on this podcast Lib Dems they're not the same as the things that make us at our alarm clock before am on polling day to go and do good morning and we definitely need to make sure that those two different strands are compatible. Uh, but, you know, you, we, you can see with all the trouble Labour got in in the Jeremy Corbyn times of how unsuccessful it is if you end up only picking the things that are talking to yourselves as opposed to the things that are talking to the swing voters. It's also in a very different way. I think what uh, Mick Lynch, the RMT, has been hugely successful at in the media in the last few days. Mm. You know, He's pitching his message not at the rabble-rousing uh, sort of trade union or left wing audience, he's pitching his message at, oh, you know, reasonable, decent, hardworking people in other jobs who think, yeah, having your salary go up in line with prices sounds about reasonable. Yeah, I, I, to be clear, I think when you do have that sort of broader set of messages, in many ways, that's a harder challenge and really well done to the, the team that was putting those messages out when you've got that, you know broader targets it can be a more difficult challenge and to nail it that well absolutely yeah. uh, john yeah i was gonna say it also depends on the type of seat so for those that don't know the constituency is quite a, a long finish kind of constituency going right from say seating on the coast into rural poverty 
poverty areas to very, very nice rural villages, to farming, to the, the actual kind of the urban centres of Tiverton and Honiton. Those messages all had to change. We all got different brief impacts depending on where we were going. So it was quite sophisticated messaging. But we also had to do that. We didn't have to. The, the Tories were writing our leaflets for us in how bad they were being nationally as well. So they had already done quite a lot of the heavy lifting for us. We just had to show, as Mark alluded to, that we understood the area, understood some of the concerns and actually gave them an opportunity to voice their displeasure on what the, on what the Tories were doing, both at a local level and at a national level. Absolutely. I suppose that brings us back to some uh, other times when we've had a string of successes. And I'm, I was thinking in that context of the early 70s, uh, where actually people just didn't like the Tories. I mean, I couldn't actually begin to tell you, and I ran one of the by-elections that we won, the Ripon by-election in 1973. Was it? Yeah, 73. Uh, and... We were just capitalising on a groundswell of inertia for, of Tories. There comes a time, I think, in most people, most parties' political lives, when people say, we've had enough of you. Now, that doesn't go into some high Tory areas or some high Labour areas, because there's no one to challenge them. But it does seem, after 12 years or so, 13 yeah. years, People say it's time for a change. And again, that is a very powerful message to be on the side of, but it's a very difficult message to fight because my general political experience is that people don't remember the things you did well for them. They remember the things you did badly for them. So over the course of a parliament, the things they remember that have affected them adversely grow up and up and up. So are we saying that politics will always be in a sort of 12, 13, 14 year cycle? I suspect we are. Uh, and we start to move here into, into what this sort of election result is going to mean going forward. Um, uh, Mark, uh, what do you think, if you were uh, a, a strategist for the Conservative Party right now, uh, what do you think you'd be thinking about what's coming next? I think it's quite worrying for them because um, North Shropshire and Tiverton and Honiton are one sort of seat. Chesham and Amersham is a different sort of seat. And Wakefield is a third type of seat. And they've lost all of those. I think they do have a real conundrum. They've got to fight on several different fronts. And picking up on what Richard said, one thing Boris Johnson did really successfully in 2019 was to come over as a new fresh choice, despite actually being a Conservative government wanting re-election after over a decade in power. And that sheen has gone as well. So I think they've got a real dilemma. I think, I mean, the, the, the emergency escape button they can try to press is changing party leader. And I think clearly, you know, if I was a Tory, I would definitely be thinking, well, we've got to do this. I'm not sure that will necessarily be enough because of, you know, we're just about to hit the really tough economic times. If you think about inflation, how high it is, but how it's going to stay high for quite a while and people's savings as they get eaten up, it takes a while for the full impact of, of higher prices to really hit. Um, so I think they've got a really tough conundrum and part of it is about sorting out their organisation and so on. You know, they just 
they still ran quite a poor campaign in Tiverton Honiton in many ways. Mm. Having a candidate who couldn't answer well some really obvious predictable questions like, you know, what do you think of Boris Johnson? I mean, you can blame the candidate a bit. You can blame the quality of the press team and the briefing a bit. But also, you need to change the party leader. <laughs> that is the but, well, I obviously very much hope the changing party leader isn't going to be enough <laughs> for them. And I do think that the big problem they need to address, even if they change leader alongside that, is what is their message for the country? You're not in the Red Wall especially what is the sort of future they want for the country? Because they seem to really point in mutually contradictory directions on that all of the time. You know, are they a big, big government spending, you know, huge investment in infrastructure party? Are they a small state party? Are they tax rising? Are they tax cutting? Are they pro-environmental action? Are they anti-environmental action? Are they socially liberal? Are they wanting to roll the clock back on? So, you know, just on all of those, you sort of think it's not really clear what Boris Johnson is going to think day to day. But nor is it therefore really clear what, where the Conservative Party is going to be day to day either. Um, and you mentioned there that the organisation on, on the ground. Now, one of the things that came out this morning, so Oliver Dowden resigned mm. uh, from his role uh, in the Conservative Party in charge of exactly that. You know, he was only brought in a few months ago to improve their ground operation. Do you think it's... Um, significant that you say i mean i don't what didn't seem quite as bad as it had been before but uh would you say that is to do where are they going to go you know they've already tried changing the person in charge what do they do now yeah i think i mean i think one of the problems they've got is just a lack of grassroots activists so one of the real signs of the weakness of their organization on polling day was how few tellers they had across the constituency and that's people debate a bit about how valuable telling is versus knocking up but definitely in a by-election, it's a real sign of your organisational strength mm -hmm. because you should have enough people to do plenty of telling as well as plenty of knocking up. Um, and normally the way a political party gets an infusion of new activists is through a new leader. And, and that's, yeah, if you look at when you get membership surges, it very often is associated with a new leader, which are one of the reasons I think why a changing leader makes, makes sense for the Tories. But that's a, that's a tough one to fix. You know, to fit, given they've been in power for so long, their membership on average is, is old. I, all political party memberships are older than average, but the Tory membership is even older. And so, you know, they've got it. That's that's not an easy. Could you just be careful of your language here, if you don't mind, Mr. Pack? There, I mean, there are some older people who, um, who you know, who first fought elections back when Queen Victoria was on the throne, who, you know, still still trundle out for elections, which we should value. <laughs> um, it did to... say, Richard, that your reference point was the early 70s by-elections, because you could almost put classify Lib Dems by generations, those who use the early 70s run of wins, or the early 80s run of wins, or the early 90s <laughs> run of wins, or these youngsters now who are going to use the 2020 yeah. run of wins. <laughs> Well, I remember the 1960s, uh, the last of the 1960s win with Birmingham Ladywood and uh, Alderman Wallace Lawler, which was the first uh, by-election that, that, that I helped uh, with. But the, 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 there is a problem with the Tories changing leader, isn't there? Who the bloody hell is there to replace them? So Rishi Sunak, I didn't rate personally, but at least he, we thought he was competent to some extent, but he's gone. Which of the dwarves in the in the Tory cabinet, Pretty Patel, uh, Liz Truss? I, I just can't think of a name that would excite anyone. 
five it's years. It's time as well. Okay. Sorry, just Sorry. just to cut in, it's it's how much time they've got to do it is also yeah. a big factor for me because if you're thinking about an election, okay, maybe in two years' time, that new leader needs time to bed in. You'd have to have him before the conference season this year. You would assume, or her, big pun. Um, so. How are they ever going to do it? And I think we have, we've mentioned on the pod previously that my view was if they didn't get rid of Boris by the end of May, he's there until the general. And even it, even the disaster that is what's happened to them yesterday, I just don't see how they've got the time. Or as Richard just said, the people ready to, to take it. Who is the heir apparent? You know, some people who are like Penny Mordant or Ben Wallace or Tem to. Uh, uh, Tom Tugendhat, all these people. No one's really flying massively high to the point where the, it's a, it's an inescapable thing that they're going to be the next leader. Um, I just think the Tories are stuck with him now, and I think uh, that's brilliant. It's terrible for the country, but brilliant for us. Are we going to was, talk about Labour at all, Sam? I was just going to come to that, because, of course, <laughs> there was the Wakefield result as well, uh, yeah. which Labour took back from the Conservatives. They got uh, 13,000... Uh, 13,166 votes, Conservatives 8,241. So a, a very solid result. I mean, not on the scale of, of the one that we've had, but I mean, a, a quite a decent swing towards the Labour Party uh, last night. Um, how do we think that the Labour Party are feeling today? And, and what does that mean? Because that could, in many ways, be significant in terms of who's going to form a, a, a government down the line. Richard? Well, I thought I heard Lisa Nunzi blustering with good style before, saying it was a hugely successful result. In fact, it was a stolid result. It was a win. They did better than they did before. But 7% for an independent Conservative, effectively, was actually a big part of Labour's uh, majority. Now, I've been out doing some door knocking in Liverpool. We have a, a, a by-election here. OK, Liverpool is perhaps a more left-wing place than many, but Labour voters are not keen at all on Keir Starmer. And four of our MPs uh, are Corbynistas. Uh, they don't say that now, but nevertheless, uh, they are. So I don't think this was a good result for Labour. It hasn't, for example, encouraged me uh, to go out and seek an immediate pact with the leader of the Labour Party uh, in Liverpool. Mind you, hell would have to freeze over before that would <laughs> happen in, uh, in, in this city. Uh, but what it tells me is that uh, Labour aren't going to win the general election, the next one, but the Tories might well lose it, which is a different matter. So there will be jockeying after the election. And if they want to work with us at all, I'll give the standard advice that I give when going into councils where we're negotiating with other parties. What are the policies that will unite them? What is the programme that will flow from those policies? What can you do together? And I don't see any sign of that, although there are clear ideas that are sort of in the atmosphere but there's nothing definite. And the last thing I would want to see is to go and say, right, we'll have three in the cabinet and two here and four there. What we need are principles and policies and the Labour Party have got to develop some and we've got more policies in the bag to discuss than they have. All right, Mark, you're the, the polling expert. Mm. Uh, you know, we need to see 
40 seat switching um, in whatever combination that is. You know, is it how meaningful is that result and that level of swing towards Labour? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting coincidence that their by-election win in Wakefield is their first game from the Tories in the by-election for a decade. And in fact, in the local elections just a few weeks ago, the Labour lead over the Tories and the national equivalent vote share was also their best for a decade since 2012. So, you know, and I think that just about sort of sums up that clearly having your best result for a decade in both sets of elections um, is a good, you know, we've, we frequently tried to talk up, you know, thinner material. So it's, it is definitely progress. But 2012 was followed by 2015 and Labour losing. So I think... Yeah, Labour have definitely taken a couple of steps forward, but they've got quite a few more yet to take. And I think, I mean, the thing that puzzles me, and I've asked people who are, you know, people I know who are, say, Labour sympathisers or Labour members, you know, just say, look, am I just being blindly tribal in not being able to understand what the Labour message is? But no, they, they all say that as well. They think, no, actually, you're right, Mark. It's just, you know, look, there's the press have had a bit of a go in recent days over how many different slogans Keir Starmer. You know, has has churned his way through, and it's not just that he's churned his way through lots of slogans. Is there? They're not all variations on the same theme. It's it's really unclear. Now, maybe, maybe though, in in the end, you know, governments lose elections is the cliche, rather than oppositions win them. So maybe just being you know, better than Corbyn, not scaring the horses, having public popularity that's rather tepid, that might be enough. Yeah, that might be enough if the Conservatives carry on on their current course. But it'll be, I guess, at times a slightly nerve wracking route for them um, because Starmer's just not that popular. I mean, he's perfect for the Lib Dems because he is mm. sufficiently better than Corbyn that he doesn't scare soft Tories and say Tifton and Honiton. But he's not so popular that he's making, say, life harder for Richard and you know his colleagues in Liverpool by being you know, having a huge surge in Labour popularity in the way that, you know, at the height of New Labour's popularity and in, in the in the mid-90s, you know, the way that was really tough for lots of lots of us up against Labour to try mm. to somehow weather that. So from our point of view, he's at the perfect level of popularity. But from Labour's point of view, it's going to be quite a nerve-wracking uh, next, well, I was going to say next few years. Who knows? Maybe Boris Johnson will be ousted tomorrow and we'll have a general election before Christmas. But next few weeks, months or years... <laughs> How do you feel about a general election in a couple of months, John? Oh, it, that, that, that sounds awesome. That sounds like great fun. You know, I, I will eventually see my wife at some point, but I'm not sure when. Um, but on on the Labour point of view, I think, again, I'm kind of, I think Richard and Mark are absolutely spot on. I think there's absolutely no love of Keir Starmer on the door, even amongst Labour members. You know, they kind of, he's... He's better than what came before, but he's not like kind of blowing them away with enthusiasm. And, and, and we've said this before, that's almost perfect for Lib Dems. However, one note of caution I got on this, there were quite a few of the soft Tory voters or people who were voting Lib Dem from the Conservatives for the first time in these last few days that I came across who were worried about what voting Lib Dem would mean if he, if they get Keir Starmer as Prime Minister. Mm. Now, it was a fairly easy tactic for me to do this this time, is to say, well, you know, Keir Starmer's not going to be the Prime Minister on Friday. You'll have another vote at a general election. You can, you, If you're angry at the government, this is a perfect way of doing it. We won't be able to use that in a general election. 
and you, I mean, Oliver Dowding, which we've men- who we mentioned, obviously was desperate to try and say there's a there's a pact, there's an evil pact between Labour and the Lib Dems. Now, at some point in the run up to the general election, that is particularly if it if it looks like a hung parliament, that question is going to get louder. And Lib Dems, both in Liverpool and across the rest of the country, have to figure out, okay, how do we get that message that you're voting Lib Dem, you get Lib Dem, rather than you vote Lib Dem, you get Starmer? Because we know the Tories are going to push that. Yes, absolutely. Um, One thing I want to ask about, so as well as the the sort of by-elections for Parliament, there were a series of uh, local uh, by-elections and deferred elections, um, and I'll run through uh, winners for the Liberal Democrats last night. Conrad Waters, Julian Spence, uh, Tom Keel, Mark Williams, Mark Durant, Leslie Heap and uh, Dong Sung Kim. And that was every uh, council by-election or deferred election in which we had a candidate, we won. Uh, so as well as Richard Ford and, and congratulations, you know, Jamie Needle in Wakefield, you know, that is a really thankless task. And, you know, he did a sterling job for us as well. So he gets an honourable mention. Um, now, do we think that then we've t- talked about that national situation and where that messaging is? I mean, in the main, those were clear switches from the Conservatives. So uh, how do we feel going forward? Richard, you mentioned you've got a by-election coming up in Liverpool, and admittedly, not often that you're going to be facing Conservatives in Liverpool. I haven't got a candidate. (laughs) Really? Do we feel that uh, on those by-elections, we've done well so far? Is that a sign that, not just at the parliamentary level, we're going to be able to just keep taking solid takes from the Conservatives? And, And what does that mean on the ground? What it means on the ground is a spread of liberal democracy throughout the whole of the United Kingdom, because we did very well in in, in uh, Scotland and Wales as well, not to mention our colleagues, the Alliance Party in Northern Ireland. Now, I've always likened political parties to an army, very appropriate since we've just elected a major. And so we've got all the head hidgins and the brass with the big caps and they suffer people like Mark Pack and Ed Davey in London directing the troops. But who makes all this work? It's councillors on the ground, ward by ward, neighbourhood by neighbourhood, community by community. And that's what did for us as much as anything in 2015. Uh, we went down in Liverpool to two, now we're back at 11. Uh, we just lost a by-election by 38 seats, where we went from 14% to 48 in a two-party system. <laughs> Didn't quite do it for us. We might win one next week. but So what we're getting is, 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 is that NCO set of, 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 of people back in the party. And, and if I could just uh, intrude on something slightly different, we lost one of our NCOs yesterday. Literally, he was a warrant officer in the Territorial Army. Frank Doran served for 35 years as a Lib Dem councillor, uh, and he died yesterday. But it's people like Frank who keep this party on the road. I'm not demeaning the work of the National Party, and I'm not demeaning the work MPs do, but actually this party is held together by our activists and our activists where we've got them are led by councillors. So huge progress, huge foundations on which we can go on to build. 
Uh, and in terms of, I know the HQ is uh, sort of pushing uh, a recruitment campaign. There's a recruitment weekend coming up. Uh, John, how are you feeling about uh, new members and new positive people coming on board? Is that a feeling that you're getting around Preston? It is. We've had we've had several new members actually, and particularly um, in light of the local elections as well. With again, Lib Dems doing very well. We've had people coming out of the woodwork saying, "Look, I, I want to get active. I want I want to do something." Partly, I think that is because they know a general election is coming. This is we're getting into that part of the cycle where people are getting more interested in politics because they know the the big event is coming up fairly soon. Um, and I think what what we've got to do as a local party, and we haven't been brilliant at it, is capitalising on it. We've got to ring them. We've got to invite them to social events. We've got to get them involved in, in some way. And hopefully, you know, it only takes a couple of them to get the politics bug. And suddenly you can make huge strides in your local party. And I think that's where, that's what we need to do. And I think that's what all campaigners around there, because, you know, we saw from this, uh, from this by-election, you know, it took 400 odd people turning up on polling day, knocking on doors. We delivered 800,000 pieces of literature in this by-election. That could only be done with teams. And no matter how good you are or how good a superman you think you are, you're only as good as the team that's around you. And so now in summer, working off the positivity of this by-election, build your team. Uh, and Mark, uh, where next, you know, uh, from, the, from HQ, from the Central Party, where are we heading next, do you think? Well, quite possibly Somerton and Froome in a by-election. <laughs> there in the not-too-distant future, given the news this week about the Parliamentary Standards Commissioner opening an investigation, as well as the other... Other serious allegations there have been uh, about the the MP MP for there, but I think I mean John's absolutely right about the importance of recruitment and getting out on the doorstep. I think the other thing is, if one had to pick a slight fly in the ointment, you know, not a glass half empty, but the glass one tenth empty, it's in the last few weeks we've not been great at the number of candidates in local council by elections, and our total candidate numbers, although there was some great progress in Scotland and Wales. But our total candidate numbers in the local elections in May, I think it's fair to say we're a little bit disappointing. Um, so there's definitely a real challenge we've still got to stand more often in council elections and get back up to that sort of level of presence on the ballot paper that we used to have. And I think it's worth saying that there's obviously sometimes some real debate about should we stand or not stand for tactical reasons, which is a whole sort of other debate. But overwhelmingly, where we don't stand, it's not because of that. It's because we just haven't been able to or haven't wanted to summon up the energy and the strength um, to put up a candidate. And that's that's definitely, therefore, something we need to tackle. Absolutely. Um, now, John, you're currently going through Glastonbury traffic, heading back home. Uh, what we, what are your final feelings, final thoughts on on what you've just uh, seen happen down there in Tiverton and Honiton? Well, my final thoughts is I've moved about a mile in the last 50 minutes of recording this podcast, so the better <laughs> infrastructure down south is definitely needed. Um, but I, I, it was absolutely tremendous. And what I always get about uh, the Lib Dems, and Richard, I think, says this quite a lot, is how much of a family we, we feel at times like this, in terms of everyone got together it, it feels like the Lib Dems are, are in a really healthy place. 
I mean, <laughs> again, Mike Dixon said maybe him and Mark should resign while on top, mm. you know, because whether you'll get better than Second the best by-election victory in history. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that John did say was that it does feel like a big family effort. Um, I'm, I'm going to mention, like I, I said before, Wakefield did a really thankless task. Um, and so I, I, I know that in previous elections, people may have even put some money on election results. So if you did put some money on uh, the election result for Tiverton and Honiton, obviously, I, you know, feel free to put it towards your own local party. But why not send a little bit towards Wakefield to say thank you very much for, for the job that you did? Because uh, really, it is it is that thing of like all working together and and knowing what you're doing is making a difference whether it's it's that really big job that gets the headlines or that really small job that actually enables it to happen. But, but I felt that when I was in Tiverton, when someone came up to me and I vaguely recognised him and announced a very loud voice to everyone that was there, it's my bloody fault that he's caused trouble for all these years. I recruited him. And that was the person who'd signed me up as, as, as a young liberal. And there he was, as eccentric as ever, as possibly I am. Just uh, didn't make any fuss. Where's my bundle? Where's my canvassing pack? Buggered off uh, and got on with it. But that feeling of camaraderie is something that's unique uh, to us. If I look at a Labour group meeting in Liverpool, uh, they probably hate each other more than they hate me. And, and that's saying something. And of course, we have tiffs. We have disagreements. That's what families do. But by and large, people came down almost from Inverness, there they met their mates they had a good laugh they had a crack they did a load of hard work and went to the pub and i have never regretted joining my political family which is how i regard my party and i thought particularly of that yesterday of course when my friend of more than 45 years uh who i'd served alongside uh passed uh, away that, that's like losing a brother to me. Uh, there was no thought, well, he isn't a councillor, is there going to be a by-election? What does that mean? It was just a brother has gone, and that's our party, isn't it? Thank you, Richard. Uh, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us. Uh, thank you, John, for joining us from somewhere on a road, not moving very fast. Uh, <laughs> and Richard, best of luck for the by-election next week, is it? It's next Thursday, yes. I've already done three and a half hours delivery today. So, uh... so if anyone wants to deliver some more, going to Liverpool and <laughs> Liberty's Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.